0: Yesterday's concert is a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network.
1: We also love Steely Dan, and so when you're talking about studio perfection, it doesn't get better than that. The goal really was to to try to get something that is you can't touch Steely Dan, of course, but almost as good as their studio perfection, along with the improvised, spontaneous, almost falling off the rails kind of feeling of a live show. I think we did a, a pretty decent job capturing that. We recorded live. Um, And then overdubbed and everything. But that live recording helped the essence, of course, of there being a band playing together. You know, it was all of us playing together in the room. And that went down on, on the tape or in the ones and zeros, I guess.
0: Welcome to Yesterday's Concert, a podcast that celebrates live music. My name is Lance Ingram, and in this episode, we talk to Jeremy Kaplan, keyboardist for Dogs in a Pile. He tells me about how they've grown as a band, and their studio work, including their new album that's coming soon. Plus, we get a great Billy Joel story. Grab your earplugs as we smile, smile, smile. I'm here with Jeremy Kaplan, keyboardist for Dogs in a Pile, sick new jam band that's really making a name for themselves on the scene today. Jeremy, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing great, man. You were telling me before we got to recording that you have a pretty epic February coming up. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. So I mean, it starts off we're we're flying to
1: Arizona from Jersey. We're on Gem and Jam. So we're super stoked to get into that scene. We hear only good things. And then from there, we're flying to Miami, going off on Jam Cruise. And then when we get back, we have a East Coast Midwest run that we got going on. That'll take us through March.
0: That's awesome. Well, you guys are going to be busy. And I know uh, 2023 is going to be bright for you guys based on that alone. But before we get into our conversation, I think it'd be fun just to do a couple icebreakers, have some fun getting to know each other. So the first one, you've probably gotten this one before, but I know your, your band name comes from a Grateful Dead song, He's Gone. But I want to know, is there a definitive version of He's Gone for you?
1: Oh, man. That's so tough. That's so tough. Something really interesting happened. We opened up for Dope Pod at Brooklyn Bowl probably a little over a year ago maybe a year and a half ago and at the end of the night i think in the middle of their encore they started playing he's gone and i don't i don't think any of them did it intentionally that's kind of the thing. We, <laughs> chatted, we chatted a little bit after the show and they didn't even realize what they had done but that was that moment might surpass any grateful dead recording just because of the sentimentality yeah. of it was, it was a huge gig for us to be able to open for them, you know, and they're all such cool guys and incredible musicians that we love and respect. So said, y'all are pretty big fans of that band, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, between the five of us, they're our favorite group in the scene right now.
0: That's really cool. What do y'all like so much about them? What grabs you?
1: I think they're very unique. I mean, personally, I I feel that nobody is is quite pulling off what they're able to pull off between the sheer musicianship and the tones that they get. I mean, they have this incredible setup, I was talking with Fro at summer camp last year, and he was telling me about his Ableton setup. And it's incredible. He's got you know a beat sniffer running in Ableton that can figure out the tempo that they're playing based on what drums he hits. And then that sends information out to the pedal boards and the keyboards to set all this time-based effect. It's just so, so freaking cool.
0: That's awesome. That kind
1: of innovation, you know, and scale and musicianship is like, you know, I don't
0: know. They're the only guys doing that. That's really cool. I totally get that. So, one well, next question. Uh, keep us moving. So, you guys are Asbury Park. I gotta ask, and I hate myself for asking, but are you guys Bruce fans, or is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. So,
1: me and and Brian Murray, one of the guitar players in the band, we're both from Long Island. So, as it turns out, we're both Billy Joel guys. You know, kind of. You know, it's just just how it is. You know, it's a. I
0: get it. It's a locality thing. Let me rephrase the question then, because I was gonna ask, that was gonna be the next icebreaker. But instead of Bruce, if you could back up Billy Joel for one song, what song would you want to back him up on?
1: Oh man, it would have to be something like, all right, "Scenes from Italian Restaurant" or uh, man, he's got this one tune, "Root Beer Rag," which is really it's like you know instrumental piano like ripping stuff. I love that. Or man, I don't know, they're all great. How could I pick?
0: I flew to New York to see him at Madison Square Garden. That was like a bucket list thing for me to see him there. I mean, he's got so many songs. It's just like, how does he stop every night? He could keep going for hours. It's unreal. And the
1: fact that he's, you know, at the point in his life that he is, like he's older and he's still ripping it for, you know, two and a half hours at the garden every month. You know, I was lucky enough to go. In fact, there's a pretty fun Billy Joel story I have. You got to tell it to me. Yeah. So, I went to this arts high school on Long Island when I was growing up. Long Island High School for the Arts, in fact. And it was terribly, terribly underfunded. Districts weren't sending kids over because they argued that they had just as good arts programs at their local district schools. That wasn't the case anyway, but it was in danger of being shut down. It was it was millions in debt, I think. And so Billy Joel's foundation donated a bunch of money to the school and kept it running. And through avenues there... I somehow was connected to his business manager and him, and I was offered a scholarship to attend Berkeley from him. Uh, I went. I went to MSG, saw the show. You know, went backstage, chatted with him, and he presented me the scholarship. It was so cool.
0: What did? What did you chat about with Billy Joel?
1: It was kind of funny because he he just he just really led the conversation, and he's such a funny guy. You just sit there and listen and smile and just let him go. You know, it's it's so. One after another, you know, just little quips and comments, just like this
0: guy. I mean, were you pretty awestruck? I mean, to be in the presence of Billy Joel, like, how did that feel?
1: Completely. I mean, I was I was fresh out of high school. I had just graduated, and I mean, this guy is a legend. He connects generations. You know, it's incredible, and I didn't know what to say besides, I love everything you've ever done, and I'm really <laughs> so appreciative
0: uh, for the scholarship. You know. That's awesome. Dude, that's that's such a great story. I don't know how you follow up with a better anecdote than that. So that, that's fantastic. So I guess we'll just try to go on to the next one. So personally, when I listen to your stuff, I hear a lot of Herbie Hancock in the keys. Am I making that up? I love Herbie, man. There's no doubt about that. Okay. That's perfect. Okay. So what's your favorite Herbie album then?
1: Thrust. Yes, Thrust. That's yeah, that's a great that's, one. Yeah, that's, that's so killer, man. And all the Headhunter stuff, you know, the groove stuff is awesome. His yeah. work when he was young, I mean, he was probably a teenager when he was in Miles' band. And all that stuff is incredible,
0: too, you know? So is there a period, not just a period, but like a style that you prefer when it comes to Herbie? Like, do you prefer more like traditional jazz or the fusion stuff? Or
1: Yeah, I dig more of the fusion stuff, like the Headhunters, yeah. you know? That was, I mean, it was pretty groundbreaking at the time. And even listening now, it's still groundbreaking, you know, to listen to go- him go off on actual proof, like, Woo. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's, that's some stuff right there.
0: And that's, I mean, Headhunters is one of those albums. It doesn't matter how many times I listen to it, there's always something new, and I never, ever get tired of it. I mean, it's yes. just perfect. It's so perfect. Okay. Well, last question, and then we'll get into the conversation. Is there a particular venue for Dogs and Apollo to play that determines, hey, we've really made it because we're playing this venue?
1: <laughs> Man, that's a tough question, especially because it'll make us seem like we got bigger heads than we do.
0: <laughs> I mean, there's nothing wrong, dude. Go for a go for the O2 or something like. Go, Brian.
1: I mean, yeah, you know. So we obviously all love and respect the hell out of fish, and so we of course want to do the MSG thing. I mean, come on! And especially now, you know, Brian and I being from New York, we've seen a ton of shows there, so
0: that would be it. You can't top that. So you're coming for Fish's MSG New <laughs> Run. Is that what you're saying? It's like, all right, fish fans.
1: <laughs> my heart's already torn because of the rivalry
0: between Billy Joel and Fish. So you know. Oh yeah, that's that's a great rivalry. That <laughs> I wish it was more heated. That would be such a great heated rivalry. <laughs> <laughs> Just like at midnight if they played like scenes from Italian restaurant in place of Billy that oh man, that, <laughs> that would bring me so much petty fuel. Oh my gosh. So <laughs> Well, hey, man, I appreciate you doing that. I know that's silly, but I appreciate you doing that. So, um I want to talk a little bit about your only studio album that you have out right now, not your average beagle. The first thing that really took me kind of by surprise when I listened to it was just the production level. It is a really great. I mean, jam bands are not known for great studio albums. Let's be <laughs> frank about it. But it is a really great studio album. I mean, is that some is that an intention that you had going in when you were making it, or is it just kind of the product of being a talented band?
1: Yeah, I mean, it absolutely was an intention. I we also love Steely Dan. And so when you're talking about studio perfection, it doesn't get better than that. No. And so thank you for saying all that about the record. I definitely drove a lot of the production aspect of it. And we did it right here in this room. And the goal really was to to try to get something that is... You can't touch Steely Dan, of course, but almost as good as their studio perfection, along with the improvised, spontaneous, almost falling off the rails kind of feeling of a live show. And so I think we did a a pretty decent job capturing that. I mean, we, we recorded live and then overdubbed and everything. But that live recording helped the essence, of course, of there being a band playing together. you know, it was all of us playing together in the room and that went down on on the tape or in the ones and zeros, I guess,
0: yeah, that was something else that I noticed about it as having listened to several of your live shows, I mean, it definitely seems like y'all were very intentional about that aspect of it of making it sound like your live show, not a different. you know, if you listen to Studio Fish, it's very different than a lot of the live fish. So I mean, you had to have written the songs like that, right? with that intentionality. Yeah, definitely.
1: That's that's absolutely true. We did talk about you know like cutting things down for the studio, and surprisingly, we did. Cough, cough. Twelve minute bugle on the shelf. <laughs> on the album? But uh, yeah, I mean, we did you know kind of try to squeeze it in a little bit with that, while still maintaining that character. It might have been you know kind of a, I mean, too much of a strong headed move, you know, to not try to cut things down even further and get them in the typical album format, you know,
0: three to five minutes or so.
1: But I think we're all pretty happy with how it went, and we enjoyed the process. So,
0: but but I think it's a like we were saying with fish. It's I think it's a fairly good representation of your live show without actually having the live show.
1: That was very important for us too because we didn't, you know, we had no presence in any streaming kind of. So to get that point across to people when there was no live album to listen to, of course, you know, our, our biggest focus is on the live show. So we really needed to express that. When did y'all record that album? We were all in school at the time. So the basics were put down over the two weeks of winter break that we had. So that was twenty nineteen into twenty twenty, I think. Okay. Oh no. It might have been the year before, twenty eighteen into twenty nineteen. And then overdubs happened for a a long time after that. Oh you know, probably uh over the next year. I don't remember. It it was a long process, but that was because we did it ourselves,
0: and I—I I did it myself. I didn't really know what I was doing <laughs> entirely. You know, I'm not professional, but it was definitely well produced. I would not have suspected that you had no experience and that you went in and did this. Like, I mean, so was there nothing before this to give you experience? You just kind of went in and learned it as you went.
1: Yeah, well, I've always had an interest in like recording technologies. I would play on my uh, grandparents had a computer. They had a Mac, mm. the, thick, you know, the thick ones that they had back oh, in the day, yeah. and it had GarageBand on it. So I was always futzing around in there and playing and stuff. And then when I went to school, I went to Berklee College of Music in Boston. They included Pro Tools in the software package that I had to buy. And though, although in my major, I didn't have to take any Pro Tools classes, but I had it anyway. And you know they gave us logic and stuff too. But I kind of was under the impression that Pro Tools is what the pros use. But now I know that's what the Pro Tools use. Because um, <laughs> when you're not, worrying about whether it's crashing you're working on getting it back up after it's crashed
0: uh, that's <laughs> funny so what did, what did y'all record it in
1: then yeah it was it was recorded in pro tools yeah and okay we did this little recording rack i got a a nice interface off of craigslist another interface i could connect it to off of craigslist um,
0: <laughs> and that was it we had 16 ins and we were ready to go that's awesome it's killer man Writing the album was it something that y'all kind of wrote over time, and that was just the best of the batch, or how did the how did the songs come to be? Yeah, it was definitely written over time. They
1: were essentially the songs. It was still very early on in our career, I guess. You know, second year maybe, and so these were really for the first almost year we were mostly playing covers, just because those were the tunes you know that we all had in us. We didn't really have a ton of originals, but as we started adding them, the first album reflects. The first tunes that we really had. Mm -hmm. So, what was the muse for those
0: songs? Where did that come from?
1: I mean, it's interesting. Some of them are collaborations, and some of them are like, you know, just one of us are like, all right, I got this song. Let's do something with it, you know? And as I said, they're all written over time. So, they kind of came in bits and pieces. And, you know, even the arrangements were not complete when we started recording. Like the ending for Bubble, we used to end Bubble with. The very beginning of Spain by Chick Corea. Do and digga And that's how we ended it, just because we didn't have an ending. So we, we ending <laughs> for the recording because we we're like, all right, we were like alright we can not release this tune that's literally just stolen the ending from
0: you know, from Chick Korea. That's awesome. Well, so I mean, are you of the when it comes to songwriting, are you of the school of thought that like the muse will visit you when the song wants to be delivered? Or is it one of those more like Jeff Tweedy kind of mentalities like, this is my job. I'm going to write a song today.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's nice when that happens and it does happen. You know, sometimes you'll just sit at the piano and just go and like awesome things come out. But uh, it's definitely not always like that. And it is important to flex the muscle and work at it. You know, that's really the only way to get better at it. When you, when you look at the guys like Lennon and McCartney, they've written Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of songs. I would say probably about half of them you've never heard. Including all their... The whole Beatles discography and all their solo stuff. You know, There's a ton of tunes that they have that you've never heard, have no idea that they exist at all. And whether or not they're good or not is, of course, up to taste. But it's important that they get done. So you can keep building that muscle,
0: like I said. Mm -hmm. How do you think your songwriting or composition has improved since y'all started writing these albums?
1: Oh I mean I, it's definitely gotten better. I was never much of a songwriter. I would write tons and tons of like music, you know, and everything from like orchestral stuff to solo piano. But as things have been developing here, I've I've been realizing how important it is for us to just keep cranking out songs, you know, and that's that's what the best bands are doing. Just you know, like Fish's Fish's catalog is crazy. They got so many tunes, man.
0: Do y'all have like any kind of crazy, like we have to do three songs a week or anything like that? Or is it just kind of a more fluid?
1: We have set goals for ourselves and it is super helpful. That being said, we're like, you know, still kind of young and immature. So (laughs) the the buckling down aspect doesn't always pan out. But at least if we talk about it, you know, and that kind of thing, it puts us on the right path and we'll be thinking in that way.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, that's one thing I wanted to commend you guys on too is like, you have good vocals, which is not another thing. like I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus, but that's not something common in jam bands. Like it's usually more focused on the instruments and things like that. It, you know, and the vocals kind of suck. But you know i was I was reading one of the things they all were saying is when it comes to who sings the song, you choose it based on the strengths and weakness of the singers. Can you tell me a little bit about that process?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's really most of the time it's whoever wrote the song'll sing it in the first couple of rehearsals just so we can all get our ears around it. But then after that, we just kind of think about like what's what's the vibe of the song. Compare that to the vibe of a person's voice, and go for it. See if it works. You know, and we've there's stuff that we've traded between people since we started playing those songs live. So it really you know up to switch at any point.
0: Is there uh, ever any ego issues with that? Like, hey, you sing this song when I wrote it, or anything like that?
1: No, nothing like that. It's funny because it is the we're all the lead singer, you know, and we're all playing the chords and we're all playing solos. So it is kind of a tough thing for us to wrap our heads around, you know, like, and sometimes it it may seem like it's unbalanced, but nobody's ever angry or frustrated with each other for that. Because we all know that in the end, we just want the best product we can all deliver.
0: That's really cool. One of the things that really struck me, and I want to talk about a couple of specific songs in just a second, but like, you have such intricate compositions. there's a couple of songs in particular, but I'm going to compare it against like fishes. You enjoy myself. Like it's very technically like where does that come from? where did Where do y'all decide to just write those kind of compositions like that?
1: Well, we all went to music school. So we have a healthy taste for, you know, the bizarre and the the madness that can ensue when you get a bunch of decent musicians in a room and tell them play nonsense. And and personally, I know that I and the drummer are huge Frank Zappa
0: fans. That explains so much, man. <laughs> That'll definitely put a lot of it together for you. Well, that's—I mean—that's a good transition because I wanted to talk about three specific songs, and the first one being Thomas Duncan Part Two. Is that the most intricate one on the album? It depends on your meaning of intricate, because yeah, there's that one's got like the most moving
1: parts for sure. You know, in its instrumental section is one of the other tunes, Snow Day.
0: Yeah, that was we can talk about that one too if you'd like.
1: Yeah, so like so that one is more intricate in the fact that it's harder to play, you know, it's it's notes flying at you kind of kind of rapidly and it's in a weird time signature and all these things. I guess you could both compare them to like, you know, different styles of Zappa's compositions. So, the Thomas Duncan thing is just it's not technically difficult really at any point, but it's all these different sections doing different things and interlocking parts. And so that's kind of what makes it more difficult than, you know, your snow day, just fast, crazy notes and weird chords and
0: stuff. Do y'all still play Thomas Duncan live?
1: Yeah, there was a bit of a drop off for a while. I forget when that was, but it's been in the rotation pretty, pretty well recently.
0: Was the drop off just because of all the moving parts and everything, or was it just, let's move on to something else?
1: It was just a tune that we've had for a long time. You know, it's on the first album. And now, I mean, the catalog has grown. There's, 40 or 50 original songs now. And so, you know, we kind of just... You play the same songs and we get bored. You know, we could never be in those bands that tour the same show every night, of course. And if, no jam fan would like it anyway. But yeah, we we get restless, you know?
0: Well, it's, I definitely do want to talk a little bit more about all those unreleased songs. So I'm obsessed with Thomas Duncan. I keep re-listening to it. Tell me the, the backstory of it. Tell me how where the idea came from, what it's about and things like that. So initially... It was you know, it was like a four-bar
1: loop that I had made in college. And it was just those chords, you know, like, is this working? You hear that? Yeah, I can hear it. Yep. Yeah, so it. Yeah. And that was it. And that was just loop. Yeah. I like made a beat, you know, and it would just go. And I was, I was like, okay, whatever. It's kind of a cool thing. I like the changes and whatever. But then uh I was like, you know, there's probably something more to it. And Brian and I were living at Sam's house. For a while. I guess it was over one of the summers when we were home from school. One night we were just hanging out and we were just talking about, you know, writing some stuff. And, you know, I I showed him that little idea that I had. And from there we kind of developed it into the song portion. And it was loosely based on a local who uh, we are kind of friends with. I guess he's a mutual, you know, a friend of a friend. And it's kind of funny. I guess the lyrics are up and down in so far as making sense. Um, Yeah, it just kind of came together over that night. And then the next day, we worked on the uh, composition portion. I think that very next night, we
0: brought it into rehearsal. Wow. So it seems like it came together fairly quickly.
1: Yeah, that's an important thing, I think, when you're writing is, is to follow that thread and don't let it stray too far because when the ideas are coming and they're fresh, there's a fresh idea, it's inspiring to work on. And the longer it sits, it's just like, oh, there's that
0: thing again that I've been putting off, you know? So it's important to jump on it. That's cool, man. Well, so the next song, I know this is probably one of your bigger songs is The Look Johnny. But the reason I want to bring it up is just because I've read that I forget which band member said. It was like kind of the perfect amalgamation of your sound. So do you think this is perhaps the best song to introduce somebody with to your band?
1: Yeah, it might be. I mean. It depends because I like to think, like Frank Zappa's music, we have a wide range of what we're capable of. You know, like a, the, the tune that hasn't been recorded yet, poor K Pedro, you may or may not be aware of it, but it's it's got a mariachi section and a heavy metal section. And that's like the song. It switches between those two things. And it's complete like insanity, you know? <laughs> but it's, so if you're into insane things, you'll like that one. If you're into funky, groovy, like kind of thing, then you'll, you know, Look Johnny's is a good choice. I mean, so yeah, I, I would say... For most listeners, it probably would be a pretty decent choice.
0: The last song I want to kind of talk about is Stranger. It's your most recent release. You haven't had any other singles come out. Tell me about that one.
1: So you can see the differences between what our goal was with the first album and now what our goal is with this next one. This next one is like, okay, let's just like dive into these songs and really slice them up however we need to, to get that point across just the song. And let's not worry about the extraneous stuff. Yeah, so we worked with this guy Chris Pappas from uh, I don't know where he's originally from. I think he's he's living in L.A. now, but uh, he's a, a really great creative mind. He worked on the songwriting process with us and took us all the way through production. And between him and the the mix engineer Mike Bloom, they they had a lot of great input, and it was very valuable to us because you know I'm happy with what we did with the first album, but having an outside perspective is hugely important because you know we get emotionally attached and so inside of these things that sometimes we can't see clearly. So working with them on what will be this next album was really eye opening for us and they had so much great input that uh, I mean it really would not have turned out the way it did if not for them.
0: Mm-hmm. So am I just imagining or does that song kind of have a little bit of a Talking Head inspiration behind it? Or is is that is that true? Yeah,
1: absolutely. You're definitely not the first one to say that. The tune is actually, I guess you'd call it. It was Chris's seed, so it was kind of his original idea that was then worked on and and molded. And we were all super stoked with the result.
0: Yeah, it's a really cool song. Well, so that's. I mean, I want to talk about that because I mean, listening to your live shows, I've listened to several from last year, and it seems like the bulk of the set list is songs that are not released yet. So it seems like you're sitting on a pretty fat stack of unreleased songs. Is that accurate?
1: That is accurate. The only uh, trouble is finding the time to record them. <laughs>
0: gotcha. Well, so thats I, I mean, that was one of the shows I listened to. It was in March of 2022. And you said, okay, we've got an album coming out in a couple of months. Well, we're coming up on a year. Where's that second album at, man? Funny.
1: The, uh, same thing happened last time we tried to put on an album. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair question. We've been dealing with... We really wanted to do a vinyl release. And we are still doing a vinyl release. But we wanted to... Of course, drop everything at the same time. Have the the physical copies in hand when it all goes live on streaming and everything.
0: <laughs> so is it, is it coming out this year? You, you think? Yes, it is. We're 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 hoping for February. Okay, sweet. So yes. there you go. Soft release announcement. <laughs> okay, I love it. That's you heard it here first, guys. So I do. Okay, I want to talk about your live show because I mean, as a jam band, that is that's the primary means. It's not the studio album. So I mean, you guys essentially finished forming your band in 2019. Is that what I read correctly? You were kind of formed in 2018, but then the last guy came in in 2019. Is that accurate? Uh, man, I stopped living by the days a long time ago. <laughs> Good for you, man. <laughs> it's it's something like that. Yeah. Honestly,
1: I couldn't tell you the dates exactly. But we had Brian on for a couple of gigs here and there. And yeah, it must have been 2019 that it was like official, you know? We had him for gigs as early as January 2018, I think, and we kind of all agreed that it wasn't going to work out. But he ended up coming with us on this trip to Vermont, and we had him play the second set. We had three gigs. We had him play the second set of every one of us, and you know we were all kind of get more comfortable with the idea, and and it worked out. Sam, Brian, and I had a band up in Boston and then i kind of joined dogs which sam was sam jim joe and another guitarist and they were just playing of course grateful dead covers at the time and then it was just like kind of this weird thing cuz we got rid of the other guitarist and you know then we had this guy this band up in boston was like well what do we do like you know you kind of just have to make this work and it did it did work
0: that's cool the the point that i wanted to get to with that was you guys haven't been around that long but you've gained a lot of buzz relatively quickly. What do you attribute that rapid rise to?
1: It's largely because everybody in the band is is a great musical mind. I think that's the number one most important thing. Everybody's got such unique influences and the way that everybody plays, you know, especially for our ages, is unmatched. Killer musicians through and through. And then beyond that, great writers as well. And then beyond that, a great support system. Where we're so lucky that our, our parents are all very supportive and they will do anything they can to help us, you know, get to the next gig.
0: That's really cool. Yeah. I spoke with Alex Bailey from Eggy not too long ago, and he was, we were talking about just kind of the art of jamming. And one of the things he kind of brought to my attention is like jamming is not always easy, that sometimes it takes a lot of work to get there. And so now every time I talk to a jam band, I kind of want to go in on that a little bit of like for you guys. I mean, as, such talented musicians that have these degrees in music and things like that. How is it for you to jam? Is it difficult, or is there nights where the jamming's off, or is it come pretty easy?
1: Yeah, I mean, I always love to say that everything I know about life, I learned through music. You know, and it's just another one of those things, right? You have good days and you have bad days, and that happens musically as well. There are some days where you, your fingers just won't go the way that you want them to. That's a personal struggle that night, and sometimes it happens with everybody. Everybody's just feeling a little bit off, you know. We spent a lot of hours in the van together, so of course tensions are high, and we all realize that that's only natural. And we're we're still the best of friends, and that's that's really important. The fact that we you know are growing up with each other, I think, is huge because we're forming around each other, and the way that we play, the way that we act, it's all the same thing. It all lines up and comes in together, and that's been I think that's been really important. In the beginning, our jams were not very interesting at all. I would not, you know, hesitate to say that. But you know, as we're growing up with each other and learning about life and each other and ourselves, things are really just consistently comfortable now, which is really awesome. It's a little bit frightening because, of course, with comfort comes complacency. So we're always trying to to push the envelope and see what we can do to make each
0: other laugh or react in a way that we wouldn't normally get. What are some of the ways that you guys are challenging yourselves to avoid complacency and jamming? Sometimes
1: it's just playing wrong notes. (laughs) It's, you know, we've recently got into like the the in-ear monitoring thing. And so that's been huge for us because we're a pretty loud band, five pieces, two guitar amps, a bass amp, drums. And the poor keyboard player, me, is always like, I can't hear myself. (laughs) But with the in-ears now, it's so much easier and we can keep the stage volume down and we can hear each other well. So, what I like to do is I personally like to play little games, you know, where I'll, you know, somebody else has the forefront, right? And I'll be comping, playing something behind that. And I'll throw in whatever little ditties, melodies that we all might know in there. And I just like kind of look around to see who's paying that, that close of attention, you know? And it's tricky. And it's just little games like that that we play with each other, you know, little quotes. And the way that I like to quote is that it's so, buried inside of whatever we're doing that nobody in the crowd knows that a serious quote just happened you know that's a fun thing for us you know and then it's only the people that are really listening that can make those things out
0: it's so funny you said that because it confirmed one of my suspicions is you're the secret weapon of the band when i when i was (laughs) listening to the live shows i kept coming back to what you were playing and i'll be i'll be straightforward i'm a guitar man like i love trey anastasio i love jerry garcia those are my guys and so, like, for me, to keep coming back to the keyboard, it says something, "I really do think you're the secret weapon. do you Do you feel that way? And it kind of seems like you recognize it to some degree? Um, yeah, I, well,
1: I think it's interesting to be a piano player in a rock band, right? Like you're rarely the focus of the moment. But your job is so critically important in that, you know, like the bass player who also goes unnoticed very often, you're setting up the entire vibe. And whatever could be happening on top of it, you know, a guitar solo without any accompaniment, is just wanky and boring. But a guitar solo with beautiful harmony and and rhythm behind it is so moving. And so a lot of the time, I'm responsible for establishing that. And I I think it's a very critical role because I have the ability to move the jam and the improvisation in ways that nobody else can. I'll suggest a rhythmic idea or, or something like that, a slight change in harmony. And everybody will hear that and it just kind of goes like that, and things develop. And so it's really interesting. You know, I think that in a lot of jam bands, the keyboards are overlooked, and people kind of are okay with that because it, most of the time you don't need that. It's just providing
0: context.
1: But a really great keyboard player is going to do so much more than provide context, and they're going to really
0: add and develop things. I mean, removing eco from this question, are you the de facto band leader? Like, do y'all have a band leader?
1: Yeah, I mean, we definitely all have ideas, and we're all willing and accepting of each other's ideas. but uh, I would say that's, that's probably accurate, you know, because democracy works up to a point, and then you know, sometimes just decisions have to be made. So yeah, and I'm, I'm very comfortable in that role. I've done a lot of musical direction for like theater when I was younger. So I'm good with working with a good amount of people and talking about musical things.
0: So, are you kind of the the driving force on deciding what songs you do and don't jam on?
1: No, I mean, things like that, you know it's it's always a conversation, and that's part of my role in the group is starting a conversation because if everybody's not into it and I make a decision, it doesn't matter what the decision is. If everybody's not into it, it's going to flop. So it's about getting everybody comfortable and on the same page
0: well I mean, going back to the earlier point, of, you guys haven't been around for very long. How are you so comfortable with each other already?
1: <laughs> I mean, we, we've lived with each other in so many different combinations now. You know, uh, Brian and I were always coming down over the summers to stay at Sam's house, and eventually Brian moved in at Jim's house. Joey was living at Jim's house for a little while. Joe and I were living at Sam's house for a little while. You know, it's just we've been all over the place with each other, and we spent so much time together.
0: It's like how could we not? You know, mm-hmm. do you think that like you were talking about earlier about like being on the bus together for so many hours in a day? Do you think? And being so young in that as well, do you think that has really like pushed you towards longevity? Do you think you stand a greater chance of having longevity in this band because you're so young and growing together?
1: I mean, it's one of those things that you know we can't know until we look back twenty years from now. But it does seem to me that it would make sense that that were the case. yeah, we're we're learning how to deal with each other, you know, at very pivotal points in our lives. you know we're we're just about reaching our full maturity. um and so, we're kind of taking this ride together, and so there are so many things that cause us to be inseparable now,
0: you know how has the ride together been so far? like did, are the highs higher and the lows lower? Tell me about the ride so far.
1: I mean, overall, I would say everybody's really happy with each other and happy to work with each other, which is why we are truly blessed. And yeah, the highs are very high, and the lows can get low. There's no doubt about that, you know, but we all have this understanding that we are so in this together, you know, and if one of us is out, we're all
0: fucked, you know, it's like. It's <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Well, man, as we as we start to wrap up, what's on the books? What's uh, you kind of went through March earlier. What's on the books for uh, Dogs in Apollo this year? Are we getting a new album? We're we getting some tours. What are we going to see later in the year?
1: Yeah, so definitely we got that album. Like I said, coming out, we're, we're, we're hoping for a February release. And then, yeah, we have a lot of dates. We're spending a month in Colorado in uh, April and then we're so excited to to join disco biscuits in iceland in may that's gonna be awesome yeah i mean jam crew is coming up right around the bend there's there's a lot on the books and there's even more that's yet to be announced uh so that's killer. if
0: check out the pages give us a follow and uh stay tuned man i really appreciate your time today jeremy thanks so much for talking to me
1: yeah my pleasure lance thank you
0: thanks for listening to another episode of yesterday's concert Thoughts? Similar experiences? Disagree? Let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and even TikTok. Or you can email us at info at If you're feeling kind, give us a review on Apple Podcast. Otherwise, until next time, give us a subscribe, check out our website, yesterdaysconcert.com, and most importantly, take care of your shoes.